From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Here's what we're doing today. We're doing real talk. Real talk like... I still don't know if it was the right decision, quite honestly. And also... I think you have to be okay with rejection. I mean, I hate to make the comparison of dating because it's been like so long, but like you're going to get rejected. And these aren't just platitudes, by the way. These are current lived experiences from the guy whose voice you are hearing. I will introduce him in a moment. He is at the very early stages of a startup and experiencing all that stuff you experience. And he is willing to talk about it. Like, for example how his wife feels about all this. I sit here and like lucky to be in that position to take, take some risk. But she is like, well, what the fuck are you going to start getting paid? <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. So who are we hearing from here? This is Chris Mears. Yeah, my name is Chris Mears. I am the co-founder of Wild Clean. Wild Clean is a new, innovative, eco-friendly cleaning brand that is launching on Kickstarter very soon. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But the reason I wanted to talk to Chris today, the reason I wanted you to hear Chris, is because Chris talks about business the way everyone should talk about business, which is to say that he's just really realistic about the challenges, about his own challenges. He is always super open about that. I've known Chris for years. And we've talked a lot of business. And I just, I love brainstorming sessions with him because he's just, he just wants to know what works. And he's also willing to tell you what he's done that has absolutely not worked. And as he is embarking upon this new journey with Wild Clean, I thought it would be a really wonderful moment to check in and talk about all the mistakes that he's made leading up to what is really functionally the launch of the brand. because. Even those early, early days are filled with so many challenges. And so you understand where Chris is coming from. This is not his first rodeo in any way. He has been around the startup scene a while. I've been in startups for about 20 years. I started my career off with a company called Bare Naked Granola, which ended up getting acquired by Kellogg's in 2007. Then I joined another startup pre-revenue called Evolve Foods, love spelled backwards, frozen entrees and burritos, which ended up getting acquired by Boulder Brands in 2014, and then co-founded a chocolate business called Little Secrets. Makes better for you Kit Kats, M&Ms, Twixes, sold in Whole Foods nationally, and then had a midlife crisis in 2020 and left the company I founded to start Wild Clean. I told you, he'll just tell you like it is. And so the reason he started Wild Clean is because he saw an opportunity where maybe others just saw a crowded space. Because he was looking at the eco-friendly cleaning product category and seeing a lot of brands who were just making big, kind of very easy to kick down the road kind of claims like, oh, we'll be carbon neutral by 2045 or plastic neutral by 2050 or whatever. And he's thinking, you know, there are a lot of people who are the experience that they have about climate change is anger. Or they're pissed off about it. And they don't want these brands that are feel good or just neutral or saying that they're going to do something later. He thought, no, maybe no kumbaya. Maybe instead, let's go for pissed off. Why not be a bold, fun, reverent brand that's a little bit like poking the bear in the eye 
and still be this impact type business. So that that's why Wild Clean was born. That's why Wild Clean is about cleaning the wild, but also in and of itself being wild. And you can see that in their branding, in their language. <laughs> Go to the website, wildclean.com. You see Unmuck the World, which is fun. Also, it tells you that it kills 99% of apathy. And this right now is an important moment for Wild Clean. It depends on when you're listening to this, but if you're listening to this round when I am releasing this episode, then Wild Clean is launching on Kickstarter and you can be a part of that at launch.wildclean.com. But so much has happened before this. There was a lot of trial and error about the product itself, which led to a lot of very hard lessons about what it takes to actually create something eco-friendly. Also, Chris decided to do a test launch of this brand in New Zealand. We will explain why and well whether or not that was actually wise. And there's more. Uh, fundraising has been a real challenge. And Chris is just, he's going to lay it all out. We are going to talk to somebody at this very early moment in time where they are just getting something off the ground. Unique, because oftentimes when someone's come onto problem solvers, it's because they've already solved a big problem in their business. They've already figured something out. Chris, he has figured some stuff out, but boy, they're early days. And I think that you will just get a lot of value out of hearing from Chris talk about what navigating these early days are like and what some of the big challenges and unexpected trials have been. And maybe, just maybe, you will discover a great new cleaning product for your home. So that's what we're doing on this episode of Problem Solvers. It is Chris Mears talking about wild clean and everything that a very, very early stage founder has to deal with. All coming up after the break. What's better than finding quality candidates? Well, how about finding them instantly? For a powerful hiring partner, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. You don't want to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools. Like, for example, Instant Match. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. And with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So visit indeed.com slash problem solvers to start hiring now. Go to indeed.com slash problem solvers, indeed.com slash problem solvers. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. So talking with this great entrepreneur, I know, named Chris Mears, who is launching a new brand called Wild Clean. And Chris said this was inspired in part by a major brand crush that he has on Liquid Death, because he saw this brand that turned something generally considered to be pretty boring, like water, into something that was fun and that people wanted to engage with. And that just captured people at an emotional level. And he thought, can't we do that with eco-friendly cleaning products too? We should be able to. And so uh, Wild Clean was born. 
And now we're just going to jump into first some of where the brand comes from and some of those very, very early mistakes that were made. You're going to discover that it turns out creating something that is eco-friendly is much harder than it sounds. And we're going to talk about so much more. If you have ever thought about launching a business or if you just want some catharsis because someone else has gone through the craziness of the early stage too, then here we go. It all really kind of formed, well, you know, it's 2020, right? So middle of COVID, we were still wiping down our groceries with whatever cleaning product. Yeah, I remember it. And uh, it was totally useless. Totally useless. And I started hanging out with my, my neighbors who were both Kiwis. And we, that's, that's when the birth of Wild Clean started. And when we started... Sorry, it, just, just for context here. So just so people understand, you live in Boulder, Colorado, and your neighbors are from New Zealand in Boulder, Colorado. Two of my neighbors were Kiwis, which is very okay. strange. But I think like most people, I started hanging out with my neighbors more during COVID. So that's how kind of the business was formed. And um, we had a core value early on about planet first. So everything was, is this the best thing for the planet? And we started realizing as we went down this journey that that core value is really going to be challenged. And I'll give you a few examples on that. One is our spray bottles that are intended to be forever reusable bottles. We wanted to be made out of fishnets and ghost nets and actually come plastic from the ocean. That became incredibly difficult. Making bottles out of nylon versus HDPE, like we realized, and then all of a sudden we were going to have to buy tons of plastic that minimums were way out of our reach. So we realized, okay, shoot, okay, well, that, that's not bad. What's the next best step? So that's when we went to recycle, 100% recycled plastic. Then the other thing is we, on our triggers for our pumps, we were like, okay, well, we have to use 100% recycled plastic. What we ended up finding is when we got samples, the triggers would break in like a week using recycled plastics. Virgin plastic is just stronger. So it was the like triggers, the trigger being the, the thing that you pull when you're trying to spray something from a bottle. Yeah. Like the, um, the, the part that your finger is on to pull back to spray. Exactly. Something. And the pump okay. or hand soap. Yeah. So we're like, uh, well, okay. Huh. So then we, we tried 50% and it still was breaking. It was like, okay. We went down to 25% recycled plastic. And we had to just be honest with customers like, hey, we, we tried and it failed. And then the second piece is making certified home compostable packaging for our sachets. So the way it works is we have a powder format that goes into a sachet that you dump into the bottle, you add water, you dissolve, and then you get the multi-purpose glass cleaner, bathroom cleaner. The sachet, we were like, well, we don't want to sell single-use plastic, right? What is a sachet? Sorry, this, what do you call this? A package? Oh, oh, yeah, like a little package. Okay, you're holding up a little packet that packet. that's it looked a little packet. It's it's you know it's like a very long finger, and and inside of it is the powder that you would mix with water to turn into the cleaning solution. Okay, so the so what you're calling sachet is it's it's sort of the the packaging material of the little packet. Yeah, it's kind of like if people are familiar with like liquid IV pour into their bottles. It's kind of similar package, so to speak. Okay. And so we're like, well, we don't want to use sell single use plus. So we found a certified home compostable package in Australia that we brought all the way to the US to package it. We were like high-fiving, like, oh my God, I can't believe we found a certified home compostable package. And then we started shipping the product and it was breaking down. And it was breaking down because we were shipping it in hot areas and that type of thing. And it was falling apart. And I've never felt more dumb when I called the film supplier in Australia. And I'm like, hey, our package is falling apart when it's exposed to high heat and humidity. 
And his response, I'll never forget, was, yeah, that's called composting. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it worked as advertised. It worked as advertised. So I was like, oh, man. We went through like 20 different compostable suppliers. And this is where like there's not a lot of education around it. Difference between home com compost and industrial compost. And I think 50% of the U.S. has access to industrial compost. But like Boulder has curbside compost bins. But that's very rare. And so we've had to go to industrial compost just to have better barrier properties, which is not ideal. It's not, again, this is not a perfect scenario. But at the end of the day, we're not shipping water, right? Across the U.S. We're using forever bottles made from recycled bottles. And we partnered with a company called Repurpose Global, where every bottle we sell, we remove two. So we still feel like, again, we had these, when we started, I think your original question, we had these goals of just being like this perfect company. You know what I mean? This perfect, sustainable company. And then we realized as we went, in order to have an actual business, you had to make some sacrifices. And now we're learning, okay, how do we do this in the right way? And so, and again, all these learnings were great. And this is a big reason why we ended up launching in New Zealand. Rich, co-founder, moved back to New Zealand. We're like, let's just get some good learnings in New Zealand and figure out what works, what doesn't work. And these, all these great learnings came from there. Yeah, so, so why, why New Zealand in particular? I mean, obviously you've got the New Zealand connection with the co-founder, but why not just start the launch in America? Why do it in a different territory? I still, I, I still don't know if it was the right decision, quite honestly. I mean, I think the thought was it's a small country. They're definitely more green-leaning and Rich was going to be there. So we could, it was a very controlled experiment. But it, it took a while and his freight was expensive because all the products made in the U.S. So it wasn't, oh. wasn't super, super ideal from that standpoint. So um, you were making everything here in the U.S. And then, and then shipping it over to New Zealand for distribution. Minus a couple of things, minus boxes, and, but the powders were made in the U.S., and the bottles and bottles are not cheap to ship, you know? So mm. I think if I, I'm glad though, that some of these big mistakes were in New Zealand and not the U.S., that would have been a pretty big hurdle to get over. Because, you know, because you're afraid of shaping consumer perception based on your mistakes. So at least if you're going to mess things up at the very beginning, do it in a smaller market where the, any reputational damage gets contained there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. You know, I think it's a toss up at this point, but I mean, I think, I think we've got, we know a lot more. I think we know a lot, not only about product learnings, but like messaging and marketing and what resonated with people, what sense people like sense such a big thing in this. We also learned efficacy is so important. Like we were screaming plastic negative and we're B Corp and we're toxin free. And then we did the survey and we realized that the most important thing to people is like, does it work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such an obvious thing. It's like, okay, that's cool, but that is the work. So now we're, we have shifted a little bit of our messaging of like all those credentials are more of like the cherry on top, if that makes sense. And it's like, yeah, our shit still works. And yeah. we're just not selling you 90% water, <laughs> you know? Right, uh, right. I mean, this is this is a important lesson that I think anybody who enters a mission-oriented space ultimately discovers, which is that there are going to be some consumers out there for whom the mission by itself is the selling point. Yeah. But 
it's hard to compete on that really because there are a lot going to be a lot of other brands that are going to also be mission oriented and that frankly are going to talk in that like very missiony way that you're defining yourself against. So if you're trying to reach a mission oriented consumer and that's all they care about, they're going to be fine going to the brands that are really preachy that you don't want to be. And so it's got to be something else where they feel good about the product because it achieves a mission that they support, but that ultimately, like first and foremost, it hits some more immediate need of theirs, which is either just that the damn thing works really well or like liquid death, that it speaks to some consumer desire they have to define themselves or have fun or have a thing that they just feel really good about or whatever. It reminds me, Chris, of a conversation I was having not long ago with a, the CMO of a commercial cleaning company. Like they, they come in and they clean offices. And their point of differentiation in the marketplace is that they use these eco-friendly products that I think they developed themselves. And it, the guy was struggling to figure out how to market, like improve their marketing. And uh, I was talking to him with a group of people and somebody was like, well, what's the thing that actually drives your customer crazy and is the reason why they would switch cleaners to begin with? And he said, oh, well, the answer is that their previous cleaners didn't show up. <laughs> so, right, which is to say that like the thing that's right. actually driving the, the, cons like, the consumption decision isn't eco-friendly cleaning, even though that, that's going to matter to people, but it's, it's really like, will the cleaners show up and clean? Because that matters more if you need your office clean. And so I was like, well, then clearly the way to do this is that you have to position yourself as being reliable first. And then the eco-friendly stuff comes second. So it's like, you're reliable. You sold me on reliability. And oh, now this is the reason why I would pick one right. reliable brand over another is because then they're also doing this eco stuff. And I believe in that. So it's like, it becomes this, it becomes the, it like seals the deal, but it doesn't start the conversation, I guess. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's such a good point. And that's where like retention matters, right? And that's yeah. what we talked about, like for our brand, it's like, how do you gamify plastic removal in a fun way? Almost take like the Peloton model, but like, wow, with Wild Clean, I've helped remove like 50 pounds of plastic from the planet. Like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like they, oh, and I rank fifth in the US of like plastic removal, like kind of create this fun retention model behind it to your point. And, and again, that becomes the reason to believe, but they like it because it's like, wow, it smells great. Works great. doesn't take up a lot of space in my house. You know, like the packets, I like the bottles, keep it like, to your point, keep it pretty simple. And um, yeah, I think that's what gets me excited and just create fun marketing stuff. Like I'm excited to like poke big brands in the eye <laughs> about their commitment to use recycled plastic by 2035 that type of stuff <laughs> so all right you to recap identify this opportunity develop the product discover along the way that a lot of your very high and mighty goals could not be reached because they just literally weren't realistic like 100% recycled plastic breaks too easy uh, household compostable packaging will melt on the way to your consumer and so there are things that you have to shift and change, but eventually you get to a place where the product is doing what you want it to and people are digging it. So let's talk about some other unexpected challenges that you ran into, like, for example, fundraising for something like this, not easy. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of elements to that in terms of fundraising, right? I think one is 
just what's happening in the world. I think direct consumer businesses have taken a hit the last since post COVID world where it's like, okay, this isn't going to continually go up forever. So I would say that's kind of one ch- challenge we faced. The second piece is private equity kind of sitting on the sidelines a little bit. And we just didn't have a huge proof of concept, right? Cause we're, we launched in a small country. And so for us, it's like, okay, I think we're just going to have to, we believe in this so much. So it's like, you're going to have to ask from friends and family, which is never easy, but it's like, you kind of, if you believe in it that much, you got to do what you got to do, you know? So that mm-hmm. was aspect, And it's always hard. But at the end of the day, it's like you present your friends and family, hey, here's the opportunity. You want in, you want out, you know? And it becomes a numbers game to me. Yeah. Um, do you have you any, uh, you, like, any good learnings from that to share with people who are going to have to go through that themselves? Like, what, what did you find either worked or just allowed you to make that approach, but not make it awkward? Yeah, it's really hard. I would say that investors, even if it's friends and family or private equity, they invest in opportunity and not need. Right. And I think that's a really important piece. And I think showing your belief and in, in selling the vision is so important. I think at, at a very early stage, like, hey, here's where we're going. And getting people excited to be part of the journey, I think is exciting for family and friends. Like, do you want to be a part of this? I think you have to be okay with rejection. It's kind of, I mean, I hate to make the comparison of dating because it's been like so long, but like you're going to get rejected and you're going to get people mm-hmm. say, oh, I hate your bottles. I think they're super ugly. They don't match my bathroom. And so you got to Really? Friends yeah. and family? Friends and family are like, oh, Chris, love you. Hate the bottles. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. My <laughs> sister hates the bottles. She's like, yeah, it doesn't really match my bathroom aesthetics. I'm like, well, I'm your brother. But you have to listen to it, too. It's like, okay, is that a trend? Is this something that we should look at? And some of those cases are true. And so I think being, I think being vulnerable here is like important. It's like, hey, here's where we're at. And I think just stating facts. Like, I sent out an email to probably a few hundred friends and family. Here's our fundraising goal, 100K. We'll take checks of 5K, 10K, whatever it is, and just being presenting the opportunity. And you and you have just being very objective about it. That, that seemed seem to work. And you're going to get people that mm-hmm. ask you that believe in you. Yeah. Have you, do you carry around a, a list in your head of who's in, who's out? <laughs> Does it impact? Oh, I definitely have a spreadsheet for sure. Like a, a yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, it becomes a full-time job in a way. Yeah. And I also think that once you get a couple wins, I, I do think this for most entrepreneurs, you're like, okay, I get a couple of people. Like it gets you kind of like the, the addicted to winning. And then you like start reaching out more. And then sometimes you get rejected a couple of times. And you're like, oh, I don't want to get rejected again. So you like maybe slow down your your outreach, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's it's a real part of the process. So why did you decide Kickstarter was the right next move? I had a couple of reasons. One is, I think, state of the kind of where we are in terms of raising capital. I think, two, we're such a mission-driven brand that I do think we can get really loyal followers. And I think it just starts that flywheel. Getting a couple thousand customers like, wow, this is so cool. I really believe in this is really important to the brand and starting that community early. And then the second piece is it helps us raise money for inventory. We've got the website ready to go. We've got 
marketing ready to go, direct to consumer, kind of all all ready to, to run. You know, it's just a matter of kind of getting some customers that believe in us. And I think that's going to be a big part of the brand is like, how do we bring people into the brand and into believing in our mission in like a fun way? I think that's, that's such an important piece to it. I have a friend who broke some kind of record for money raised for a shoe or something like that on Kickstarter. And so ever since people reach out to him all the time and they ask for advice and the, he, so I asked him like, what are people asking? What's your advice? And he said, well, the number one piece of advice is that people will reach out to me like two days after they launch their Kickstarter and they haven't raised much money. And they're like, what should I do? What am I doing wrong? And, and his advice is you had to start this process many months before your Kickstarter went live. Like this is like, if you've already launched and you don't have a plan, then it's dead. So tell me what has happened in the lead up to the launch for the Kickstarter for you. Yeah. So I'm a big believer. I think I've now reached a point in my career where I just try to find people a lot smarter than me to help with this process. So we hired an agency called Russell Marketing that has all built a whole business around raising money through crowdfunding. So they have a crazy detailed process. We did a whole validation study to see even if Kickstarter makes sense for our business, where we tested driving customers to uh, a website, tested pricing, tested all sorts of different things. We had a whole validation study that we ran in the fall. That was super positive. And then we started the kickoff of a lead generation process to gather emails and gather interest middle of February. And our launch date for Kickstarter is April 11th. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's about yeah, a couple months, a couple months ahead of the actual launch date, building that kind of community. Because you're right, I think you want a big group of people that on day one, it's like, I'm in. And then everyone, everything I've heard too, some of you, that first 24 to 40 hours are just critical. Um, yeah. It's a campaign. Right. So yeah, so this is not just you throw this up because how do you, as a co-founder of a brand, think about the moment that Kickstarter is in the early life cycle of your brand? Because Kickstarter is a all or nothing proposal. It is you raise this money that you set and you get the money or you don't. That's just the way the Kickstarter is programmed. But you know, you are not building a brand where we either succeed on Kickstarter and the brand lives to see another day or whoops, this was all a terrible mistake. We should have never tried to develop this in the first place. So it plays a it must play a kind of complicated role in how you think of what comes next for the brand. I'm just curious how you thought through that. Like, you know, what what is this moment for you? Is this a do or die moment? Is this a early validation moment? Is this just simply a matter of trying to propel the brand forward and leap over a couple of steps that would have either maybe been able to happen if fundraising was easier in this economy or I don't know. How do you think about it? I would say, I mean, right now, I think it does feel like I'm driving, I don't know if it's a plane or a car or a train towards the edge of a cliff and seeing and hoping <laughs> hoping it takes off from there. So, or doesn't kind of crash and crash and burn. But I have thought through, okay, here's some minimum amount that we need to kind of raise to like launch launch yeah. the business and here's like a number where i'm like 
okay, this is this is like super exciting. We can invest more in marketing and that type of thing. That said, I am such a I'm I so deeply believe in the brand and the mission. And it does get me up in the morning. I'm just so excited to kind of like bring this out in the world that like I couldn't imagine a scenario where if we falter on Kickstarter that I'm like, okay, next thing. Um, <laughs> if that, I guess if that, if that's kind of what your question is, like where, yeah. where do you or die? I am really lucky because my wife has a good job. So I'm able to take these risks. She has healthcare. You know, I'm not like, oh my God, if I don't have a salary, I can't feed my children. So I, 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 I'm, I sit here and like lucky to be in that position to take, take some risk. But she is like, right. well, when the fuck are you going to start getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't know if you're supposed to swear um no you, yeah you can swear. i think especially uh in the context of your wife being like where's the money an f-bomb is an appropriate thing but yeah but i think that that's a valuable thing for people to hear because look there's a line of thinking that the earliest or that the easiest way to be an entrepreneur is to start when you're really young and you basically don't have anybody relying upon you because you know eh, whatever if you're in your 20s then you eat a bunch of ramen and you can go on nothing but that's not you. You're a, you're a full grown adult. You got a family. You got kids to feed, and so there has to be questions of well, how do you realistically become a founder when you're not in your twenties? And the answer is you got to just make sure that the basics are taken care of in some way, yeah. and you're being responsible about it. But and and that's not to say that it's not going to cause tension because because your wife's going to like well, <laughs> the fuck are you going to get paid? But, <laughs> But that's, I think that that's just really, I mean, look, I I think the entire thing that I've loved about this conversation we've been having is just how incredibly real you are. And usually I'm talking to people further along in their journey. By the time they reach me for this podcast or particularly the magazine, they've already gone through a whole bunch of ups and downs. They figured something out. They've reached some kind of scale. And every once in a while, not every once in a while, fairly regularly, I do hear from people who are like, you know, it would be cool to just hear from someone who's just like grinding it out at the very early stage. And the reason I don't do more of it is because there's just so many people grinding it out at the very early stage and you don't know if any of them know what they're doing or or whether or not anything's going to turn into anything. But it's worthwhile talking through it with you because you've gone through the process so many times. You know what it looks like doesn't mean that it's not challenging and difficult, which is why I, I really appreciate how just completely candid you are, but also you, you like understand what good looks like. So I think hearing this kind of stuff from you is, is for anybody thinking about pursuing anything of their own is a really valuable thing to hear. I would say the other thing is like, even talking to you in the early stages that my, one of my friends that also started companies, Sunday Coulter, and I talk about this is that finding energy givers in the early stage that like, propels you for even if it's a few days it's like oh my god i love it it's so valuable i think for a founder mm. you know what i mean where the energy takers the doubters like i don't know maybe I, sometimes i'm weak where i'm like oh it just crushed me for a day i mean that's just the yeah. nature of business but i don't know if i'd have it any other way to be honest with you so chris how do people contribute to your kickstarter so we are launching on april 11th if you go to launch.wildclean.com, you can sign up for calling it Wild VIP Access, the Wild Mother Unmuckers, to get 50% off on the first 24 or 48 hours of the launch campaign. All right, Chris. Well, I 
can't wait to see what happens. I will be contributing to your Kickstarter, which is something I do not do very often. I will have you know. And uh, and I appreciate your candidness. It's always great talking business with you. And I, and I think people will get a lot from this. Again, if you want to get involved in the Wild Clean Kickstarter, just go to launch.wildclean.com. Thanks again to Chris for all the unvarnished truth. That's all for this week, but hey, let's keep the conversation going. I write a newsletter called One Thing Better, where every week I give you one way to improve your work and build a career or company you love. You can subscribe for free at jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter, jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter. And if you do, you should definitely reply and say hello. I promise I'll get back to you. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.